Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 today. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back there for you. Or if you would like another Bible, you can feel free to grab one of those as well. That's our gift to you. As you do that, let me, uh, let me review from last week. We started our new sermon study of Matthew's gospel. And I gave you my rationale my current best thinking, and why I believe that the Lord Jesus wants us to continue studying and and thinking and and meditating on the Gospels, Uh, because we just came out of Mark. We came out of Mark's Gospel, and now we're diving right into Matthew's Gospel. And so with the opening chapter of Matthew's Gospel last week, we learned the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we learned that all those names... They're not simply just names out of an ancient phone book, but rather uh, each name was part of the revealing of who the King of Kings is. Some of the key points from last Sunday were, number one, the Gospels are complementary. They are not contradictory. Key point number two, the Old Testament is a book of promise, while the New Testament is a book of fulfillment. We learn, number three, that royalty depends on heredity. And key point number four, that Jesus was the son of David by royal descent and the son of Abraham by genealogical descent. So last Sunday, Matthew verified, really without the shadow of a doubt here, that Jesus' ancestry dotted every I, it crossed every T for him to be the king of kings. And today, Matthew moves us from Jesus' family tree to his birth. And before we dive into the miracle of Jesus' physical birth, I think what we should do here is is look in the rearview mirror of of Old Testament Scripture, because God has a habit of just showing off when it comes to his miraculous powers with women and them giving birth in their old age. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 when God shows up, said, you're going to have a son, they both laughed. They would do the same thing that you and I would do. She gave birth to a son named Isaac. When the Lord showed up to Manoah's wife, she was barren. Uh, the Lord promised them a child. They named that child Samson. Elkanah and Hannah. Hannah, she went to church for a, uh, to pray for a child. And the priest, as she's praying, the priest looks at her. He thinks she's drunk. He tells her to get out. 1 Samuel 1.15, she says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I'm a woman with a broken heart. I I haven't had any wine. I haven't drank any beer. I've been pouring out my, my heart before the Lord. Please don't think that I'm a wicked woman. Listen to this now. I've been praying 
from the depth of my anguish and my resentment. The priest Eli, he said, well, go then, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you've made of him. And God did. She had a boy and his name was Samuel. We see miraculous births continue in the New Testament as well. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been praying for a child. They probably stopped praying because they were older. But an angel shows up when Zechariah, he's performing his priestly duties. Angel shows up, he's terrified. In Luke 1.13, the angel says, Zechariah, don't be afraid because your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you're going to name him John. And we know him as John the Baptist. Uh, so as miraculous and, and wonderful as those births and those children are, today Matthew's going to teach us about the virginal conception of Mary. Now let me make a distinction here uh, with some terminology. There is a difference between the virgin birth and the virginal conception. Yes, Mary was a virgin and she gave birth to Jesus. That is true. But technically, uh, we're not going to learn about the virgin birth today. We're going to see how the, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God supernaturally conceived Jesus in the virginal womb of Mary. All the other miraculous births, they required a husband and a wife to come together, but that is not the case today. And there's deep theological reason for all of this. Number one, Mary had to be a virgin. She had to be. And number two... The Holy Spirit must be the initiator of that conception. So all that to say this, the, the supernatural conception and the birth of Jesus Christ, it surpasses all of the other miraculous births that I just talked about. And the world finds it inconceivable. And it's because of, of human inconceivability, both from a physiological perspective, but also the sinful and the prideful and just the unbelieving interpretation that so many people have doubted this scripture. They've doubted the, the virgin birth, the virginal conception. Even some pastors and churches, they don't understand it. So they don't teach what the Lord is going to teach us today. They refuse to teach their congregations one of the most essential doctrines in all of church history. Uh, we, we see this doctrine found in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, one of the foundational documents of the Christian faith, it is affirmed by both Protestant churches, Catholic churches alike. And if you grew up in church, you'll, you'll recognize this. Why don't you read this with me? I believe in God, the Father, the Almighty. So let me ask you. But what, is, what is so fascinating about the virginal conception that Christians from various denominations, they can believe in Christ's resurrection, but not his virginal conception? What's the danger in accepting one miracle over the other? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18 and following. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, 
being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Father, the psalmist writes, let your faithful love come to us, Lord, that your salvation, just as you promised, amen and amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Notice the simplicity of this verse. It is so straightforward that a child can understand it. Matthew is speaking here in a very factual tone. Verse 18 says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. Those words, that, that phrase there, of Jesus Christ, those are emphatic. Meaning that the circumstances of Jesus' birth, they are way different than, than everyone else in that genealogy from last week. The Greek word for birth there is Genesis. So verse 18 could be translated this way, the Genesis the origin, the existence of Jesus Christ came about this way. Matthew stresses Mary's virginal conception more than Jesus' birth right here from the very start. So verse 18 continues. Notice the, the order of events here. After his, Mar after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So we've got Joseph and Mary, they are engaged. They, before they came together, she was pregnant. Uh-oh, that's a problem. And even a bigger problem, she says, or the text says, from the Holy Spirit. So let's start with Mary and Joseph. We, we don't know a whole lot about Mary. Um, she probably was a native of Nazareth. She most likely came from a poor family. And then we even know less about Joseph. We do know Joseph's father's name was Jacob from the genealogical line from last week. And then we'll learn in Matthew chapter 13 that Joseph was a contractor of sorts. He, he worked with his hands with wood and stone. We learn here the engagement. We know that Joseph and Mary were engaged uh, a first century Jewish marriage, just a little bit different than, than our marriages. Um, it was normal for the Jews to have a prearranged marriage. Here's how it worked. Uh, first, the, the fathers of the two families would commit the couple. This commitment is what we would call the engagement. But the biggest difference here is that this engagement, it, it usually began in childhood. Um, 
As Mary became a teenager, she and Joseph would then be betrothed. Betrothal is the next step to marriage. Betrothal, it's the process of confirming the engagement. So during this engagement process, the woman, she could break it off anytime that she wanted to. Um, It was her choice. She did not have to marry the man. Secondly, the man could break off the engagement if she had not kept her virginity. But once they entered into that betrothal phase, um, which lasted one year, they were legally and technically married. However, during that year, they lived apart. Even though they were considered husband and wife, they, they did not sleep together. So all that to say this, the only way a betrothal could be broken was through a legal divorce. And that's where the rub is in this verse. Verse 18, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph and Mary, they are legally married at this moment. Mary has a divine disruption to her life. And we, uh, we, we learn more details in, in the gospel of Luke. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin who was engaged to a woman named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And in verse 34, Mary asks a question here. She says, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Now pause. Notice here that Mary herself, she's the first one to doubt the virginal conception. So Mary asks this clarifying question. The angel responds in verse 35. Here's how it's going to happen, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, verse 35, this is fascinating. So just as the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters during creation, in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary's womb. Dang. That's cool. Being a godly woman, Mary, no doubt, she picks up on that language from the the angel. She knew that if God could produce the world out of nothing, then, then he could certainly produce a child in her womb without a, without a, a husband or uh, the assistance of a man. So verse 36, the angel considers here, he, he, sa- he says, Consider your, your relative Elizabeth, Mary. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary has great faith here. We see that in verse 38 with her response. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Mary doesn't have any more questions. She doesn't argue with the angel Gabriel like Zechariah. 
She doesn't tell him to go find someone else like Moses did. She simply submits and she says, amen, let it be. So at this point, Luke goes on to tell her, to tell us that Mary visits Elizabeth. Uh, Mary probably stays with Elizabeth and Zechariah for about three to four months. And then she comes back to Nazareth. So Mary's about four months pregnant at this moment. And this is where Matthew picks back up the narrative. So she walks, she comes back to Nazareth and Joe discovers that she's pregnant. Matthew chapter one, verse 19. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So notice here that Joseph is a righteous man. That terminology puts Joe in the same class as Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were both righteous in God's eyes, Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Joseph is also similar to Simeon, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. So the picture here is that Joseph's heart, his conduct, they are godly. He's a good man. He loves God. He worships Yahweh. He's a good Jew. And Joseph dearly loves Mary. Now, how do we know? Verse 19, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So Joseph chooses not to embarrass Mary. He decides not to make a mockery out of her and send her to the courts and and to shame her. No, Joseph is a good man. He's he's a merciful, he's a forgiving man. Uh, He loves Mary and he chooses to deal with this situation in a godly, gracious way. Now, let me ask you this. What's going through Joe's mind as he wrestles with this decision? How much broken heart? How much, how much sleep is he losing? I mean, as you can imagine, he's, he's so excited to start his new life with Mary. He was in the process of physically building their home. That's what the Jews did during that one year of betrothal period. He was, he was looking forward to, to raising a family. And then Mary comes back from visiting Elizabeth, and she's four four months pregnant. She's starting to show. So as you can imagine, this whole thing is is just absolutely scandalous. Mary's pregnant. Joe knows he's not the father of this baby. So he's devastated. Now, I think it's hard for us as Americans living in the 21st century to really kind of grasp the reality of what's going on here because we're, we're so used to hearing about engagements being broken off. Uh, we're numb to the idea of sex before marriage. But in Jewish culture, Mary's virginity was evidence of her godliness. So gentlemen, let me ask you, how would you feel at that moment? <laughs> Jerry Springer. Maury Povich, you know, it is the Jerry Springer show. I think I mentioned that last week, didn't I? Why do people watch daytime television when they can read the Bible? It's much more scandalous. (laughs) Gentlemen, would you be humiliated? Would you be angry? Would you be jealous? Matthew doesn't tell us how Joseph felt, but we can... We can all bet that he felt all those emotions. So what's he going to do? What are his options at this point? Because Joseph's a good Jew. He can't just disregard God's law. Committing adultery was punishable by death. Deuteronomy 22:23. So there's only two really options going through Joe's mind. 
His questions to, to Mary were probably something like this. Mary, did you have a one night stand? <laughs> Mary, in all seriousness, were you raped? Mary, tell me the truth. What's going on? Secondly, Joseph, he can't just ignore this whole thing. He can't say that the child is his when it's not. He would be living a lie the rest of his life. And that lie would become unbearable. Everybody would find out the truth eventually. Now, notice here that Matthew, nor any of the Gospels, they, they, they don't include a conversation between Joseph and Mary at this point. Nor is there a conversation between Mary and her parents. But surely they talked about this, didn't they? Verse 18, I love the subtlety of Scripture here. It was discovered before they came together, you think, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Mary had to tell somebody. Now, I have a hunch as to why Matthew did not include this conversation between the parents or with Joe. And my hunch is that this text shows Mary's faith in God. Mary knows that Gabriel spoke to her. She knows that she was a virgin one day and the next she is with child. Mary knows the truth. And it's almost like, you know what, guys? If you don't believe me, that's on you. Regardless of the consequences that I have to go through, I'm telling you the truth. Dear friends, that's faith. And faith is costly. Mary doesn't have to explain. She doesn't have to re-explain. She doesn't have to convince. She doesn't have to rationalize what happens. She told them the truth. She has nothing to prove. She has nothing to hide. Mary is not a liar. So, what does Joseph finally decide after tossing and turning night after night trying to deal with all this? Well, I, I think Joseph would do what many of us would do. Verse 19, he decides to divorce her secretly. He doesn't believe her. Mary, come on. You're pregnant with God's baby? Nice try. How dumb do you think I am? He decides to divorce her. That's his decision. He's going to own that decision because he's a righteous, godly man. The supposed other man, where's he? He can't be found to uphold the, the law in Deuteronomy. Now, notice here that Scripture says that Joseph is a righteous man. He's not a perfect man. And it's this idea of perfection that brings us to the, the virginal conception. Now, I want to pause here for one second. As divinely miraculous and humanly scandalous as the virginal conception is, does God say anything about this in the Old Testament? As we were going through the, the gospel of Mark for a year and a half, we, we learned all of these things that were, that were prophesied about Jesus, and then we saw Jesus fulfill those things in real time. So does Scripture prophesy? Does it, pre, does it predict? Does it even hint of the virginal conception. What do you think? Yes. Give me a head nod, yes or no? Yes? yes? I see this. <laughs> Scripture reveals not one, but two Old Testament passages. Genesis 3.15 and Isaiah 7.14. 
So let's go back to the beginning of Genesis here. Let, let me set this thing up. Adam and Eve, they are naked and without shame. They have a vibrant, passionate, personal relationship with God. They live in paradise. What could possibly go wrong? Ah, just so happens a talking snake shows up and tempts them with a piece of fruit, of all things. Just a little side note, I'm thinking it was dipped in chocolate. <laughs> Satan tempts these guys through the snake. They fall into temptation. They eat that piece of fruit. And the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ shows up. And he's walking in the garden during the cool of the day. And he's looking around and he says, Adam... Where are you, man? Adam is now afraid. He's hiding. He knows that he's naked. And he immediately comes out from hiding, and he starts blaming God and blaming his wife. And as soon as he starts blaming his wife, Eve jumps out from behind a tree on the other side, right? And she's like, "Uh uh-uh. That's not how this whole thing went down. I can't believe you just threw me under the bus like that. It's not the whole story. It was the snake. It was the snake. So we pick up the story with God dealing with the snake in Genesis 3.14. The Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Notice that word enmity. Enmity, it gives us this picture of animosity. It's an antagonism here. It's hatred. Your, your Bible may say hostility. But in other words, enmity is an enemy. So notice here, God makes Satan's seed, so that's worldly people, and the woman's seed enemies. Now let's pause for a second. How can Satan's seed be an enemy of a woman's seed? Because women don't have seeds. They have ovaries and eggs. Men, on the other hand, we have sperm, we have seeds. So what's going on here? That phrase, the seed of the woman, that is indirect prophetic language that Jesus would come from a woman but not a human father. So this is the first prophecy of the virginal conception. Genesis 3.15 is so important. It's known as the the proto-evangelum. It's called the first gospel. This is the first time that we see Jesus in the the scriptures. So back to our narrative. Matthew 1.20. But after he had considered these things, so Joe is considering all these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph, man, he's done everything right. He's made a wise, a godly, uh, gracious human decision to divorce Mary. But you know what? His decision is still wrong. Don't you hate when that happens? Man. Suddenly, Joseph has a divine disruption to his own life, just like Mary. So God sends an angel to enlighten him. And in verse 20, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, 
Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So those opening words there, son of David, it connects last week's text to this one. See, Joseph, must, he must have been encouraged when the angel said that. He is in the line of King David. Um, as a Jew, that phrase there, the son of David, it wakes him up now to the important call on his life. He is of the kingly line. And, and important things are now expected of him. Joe's getting ready to find out he is to be the provider and the protector of King Jesus. He says, don't be afraid. In other words, stop being afraid, Joe. Stop it. You don't have to be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And here's the reason, verse 20, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's precisely as Mary said. Mary wasn't lying. She was telling the truth. But the only way that Joseph would believe Mary is if God told him. And he did. So in verse 21, he continues here. The angel says, she's going to give birth to a son. And you, Joe, you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. You're going to name him Jesus. So that's a very specific instruction to Joseph. For those of you who are parents, you know the privilege of naming your, your children. It's a privilege because there is a theology in naming someone or something. Going back to the book of Genesis, God gave Adam the, the responsibility, the authority to name the animals. So Adam was the, the first zoologist. Uh, similarly, a parent has the right and the responsibility to name their children. Here's the thing, though. As we read through, throughout all of Scripture, when God chose a child to do something very unique, God takes away that privilege from the parent, and he names the child himself. Why would he do that? Because God is demonstrating his authority over the child. The child is not yours. The child is mine. The name Jesus, the name Yeshua, Hosea, Joshua, it all comes from the same root word. It means God saves. God saves who from what? What is God saving us from? Verse 21 tells us, he will save his people from their sins. So God will deliver his people from the danger of their, uh, of their sins. Uh, in other words, God saves us from sin, from death, and from hell. God saves us from ourselves. Thank you, Lord. He saves us from his wrath. Thank you, Lord. And here's one that many people forget about. He also saves us for his kingdom to carry on his work. Matthew uh, 1, verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and she will give birth to a son. They're going to name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So here we see the second Old Testament prophecy regarding the virginal conception. Matthew is quoting Isaiah 7:14 here. And he introduces Jesus as God with us. God, by the way, has many, many names in Scripture. The most important name is Yahweh. I am who I am. All, all the other names come from Yahweh. So Matthew gives us a starting point for the doctrine of the incarnation. The, the incarnation, that's a, you know, 
a 10 cent word for the doctrine of, of how Jesus is truly divine and how he is truly human at the same time. It's called the hypostatic union. The, the hypostasis of divinity and humanity is found in Jesus. So in verse 24, Joe, he wakes up. He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? Joe goes to Mary's house early in the morning. Mary opens the door. She hasn't had her coffee yet. She's wiping the sleep from her eyes, and Joe's eyes are this big. And Joe's like, hey, Mary, you're not going to believe this. I had a dream. And, and, and God said that you're going to give birth to a son, and, and, and I'm supposed to name him Jesus, and, and he's going to save people from their sins. And Mary steps back, and she's, man, Joe, I'm so, I'm so glad that you finally got with the program. <laughs> hey, since you're here, I've got some trash. Would you mind taking that out as well? Verse 25, Joe did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Matthew makes it clear that she remained a virgin until she gave birth. So let me ask you this. Is there any other way that God could have saved us other than the virginal conception and the substitutionary atonement on that cross? I mean, why didn't, why didn't the Father just send Jesus in like this directly from heaven and this blaze of glory for the whole world to see? I mean, if that would have happened, do you think that, that Jesus would have been able to relate to the pain and to the shame of being human? Why can't God just forgive sin like we do? Well, why, why can't he do that? You know, we, we say, you know, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. No, no sweat. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Sin is a big deal. And the reason that God just can't forgive us and move on is because that would go against his character. God is a just God. Justice must be served. He's not going to wink at sin like we do. And, and dealing with sin is the sole distinction of this whole narrative here. We as humans, we cannot save ourselves. We need someone from the outside to step in and perform this supernatural task. Dear friends, there is no other way to be saved. Jesus had to be born of a virgin because it was man who sinned, but Jesus also had to be divine to be our mediator between us and God the Father. He's holy. We're not. We can't just bust on in to heaven. It doesn't work that way. And here's why the virginal conception is a matter of eternal perspective today. The virginal conception completely severs the sinful seed of mankind. It terminates the human, the fatherly lineage that we read about last week. And that's why we must be born again. We must be born from a heavenly father. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven... The most famous Bible verse 
is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. You didn't send your Son into the world to judge us or to condemn us or to point your finger at us or to mock us, but no, you sent your Son into the world to save us and to save the world through Jesus. Lord, we will never be able to say thank you enough, but we will. We will say thank you. We will worship you because you're the only one worthy of our worship. Father, thank you for teaching us this very important doctrine today. And may those of us who have questions, who have doubts, who have fears, may we wrestle well with you as, uh, as you draw us closer to yourself. May those of us who have divine disruptions and God intersections this week, may we share this amazing story with those in the Verde Valley. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.